Welcome to The Innovative Executive, the show that helps you make innovation a priority in your business. Innovation strategy consultant Bella Rushi helps you rethink your business model, embrace collaboration, and leverage technology. If you want to drive innovation and bring new growth to your business, then stay tuned as she meets industry experts who share practical experience to help you unlock your innovation potential. And now, here's Bella Rushi. Welcome to the Innovative Executive. Today, I'm joined by Chuck Dockerty, advisor and board member and former CEO of Harding Incorporation. Chuck is also a former president and CEO of American Science and Engineering, a former president of TE Connectivity, also known as Tyco Electronics, former president at Harris's Corporation, and vice president of data solutions at Motorola. Chuck, welcome to the show. You have uh, such a diverse background in technology to manufacturing. I'm really happy to have you here, Chuck. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Bella. I'm looking forward to it. So I wanted to start this conversation by talking about the two big challenges across all industries right now that they're facing. Today, executives are facing two big challenges, which is the disruptive changes and making innovation a priority. The demand to do more with less, cutting costs, but also trying to innovate. And a lot of the companies are thinking globally. What qualities do you think is needed most for leaders today to innovate? It's a very good question, Bella. You know, having worked, as you mentioned, in a variety of industries, and, you know, when you go through those companies, you'll see that I kind of grew up in a very high-tech telecommunications environment with General Instrument and Motorola, and then worked in a, uh, a large variety of industrial businesses that tend to be viewed as, I'll say, lower-tech uh, types of businesses. But in reality, in today's environment, uh, I don't think there is really any such thing as low tech, you know, and having gone into a number of different uh, businesses, uh, different industries, different end markets, you know, what I found is I've joined companies and I look at the traits of leadership around innovation and, and what's successful and what's worked. The first thing I think that's important is, and this sounds very simple, but it's kind of an uh, ability to listen to the organization as well as to your customer base and, you know, for an executive. And some executives do, are not very focused, especially on the customer side. And what I, to give you maybe a little more insight into what I think about with those comments, what I found going into companies and one of the companies um, that I ran was ASNE, an x-ray technology company that uh, was new technology for me. Meeting with all the key stakeholders in the company you'll usually find that there are ideas resonating down in the organization somewhere and, you know, very innovative ideas, be it new approaches to uh, and go to market, uh, new technology ideas, um, new process um, ideas, especially in operations and supply chain, which I also in include when I think about innovation and the ability to kind of listen to uh, those ideas, filter through those, ensure that you put the right focus and investment in the good ideas, obviously, is to me critical for a leader to be able to do that effectively. And, you know, I list customers with that as well. And in my experience, I, I've been in companies where R&D or uh, in, I'll call it innovation was viewed almost as an incubator separate from the core business. And 
I've seen it misaligned with customer interests where you develop great whiz-bang technology. Motorola has case studies about this where there's no end market for it. So when I talk about listening to the customer, I love the idea of customer-driven or customer-aligned innovation where you have an anchor customer or customers that are heavily engaged in that innovative process within your organization to help you make the right bets uh, when it comes to innovation investments. So I'd say those two traits, so listening to your people and the ideas that are down within the organization that maybe need to be brought to bear, as well as the ability to you know align your innovation investments with your customer needs. I think those are really critical. And then there are some very general things I look at, continuous improvement mindset. You know, it really needs to be part of the culture of the company. And as an executive and as a CEO, that's your responsibility. So making sure you have that mindset, which means there's a tolerance for failure, there's a reward system that's aligned with that, that there's, you know, that strong personal engagement around these innovations or the focus on innovation by yourself, you the CEO or top executive. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit on a couple of uh, key points here, especially when you said definitely listening to the customers and companies today need to have that tolerance of failure in order to look at the data in depth and be able to experiment their ideas and then, you know, take it to market if it's uh, if it's going to work. But um, I'm curious to see if you can give me examples on what have you seen in these companies that you've been with that how do you engage everyone to have that tolerance of failure? How do you make it a safe environment, right? How do you... Um, iterate and how do you experiment and how do you collect the data and not with your projects not fail so heavily where you lose a lot of resources and money? What have you seen that's worked for companies? Yeah, well, part of it is, you know, again, creating that that culture within an organization. And, and for me, it's always been about aligning middle management um, around I'll say the values, behaviors, et cetera, that you look to have in an organization. And that may be that tolerance for failure as an example. So in my experience and having worked in companies of varied sizes, you know, from a few hundred people to tens of thousands of people, literally, you know, getting middle management around, aligned around those values and behaviors that you want to have is critical. And that's when you know you can turn an organization based on the number of people that you you touch through middle management. And uh, so that is, I always look at that layer or layers of management as kind of critical to engage around innovation or, again, the the values you're trying to espouse throughout the organization. I think that is, is really important. You know, I talked about that customer alignment and and involvement. You know, I, I can think of literally examples in every environment where I was, both where we had strong customer engagement at the very, very early stages before there were any commercial commitments in the development of, of new technologies, new products that were extremely successful because there was the shared ownership of that idea with an anchor customer or customers. Similarly, I can think of areas as recently as, you know, my experience with Hardinge, where we develop technology for technology's sake, 
and invested several years of resources, both financial and personnel-wise, had a great whiz-bang product at the end of that development with no end market. So that's why that that customer alignment, I am more a fan of that strong customer-aligned innovation. And it could even be how you serve your customers too, by the way, and on the market side, than I am about just kind of skunkworks R&D programs in general. But it, it varies. You know, I've seen both uh, work effectively, but I, I find if you had that customer at the table with you early on, the degree of the uh, probability of success is very high. Yeah, no, these are all some great points. And you talked about definitely listening to your customers, having that alignment with your customers. It also sounds like, you know, a lot of the work you're doing is co-creating with your customers, right? To make sure that this idea can go to market and it will work. And you're not scared to take the risk to, to try this and fail safely if it doesn't work. Let's take this uh, back one step in terms of you were talking about your organizations that you've worked with, that there are a lot of great ideas that resonate within your organizations. And this is where you can take those ideas and see which one and which way you want to take to the market, which one you want to test. How are you selecting these projects and these ideas for the new growth to create new growth for an organization? Do you have a framework or a process where you do this so that you know, because there are a lot of great ideas, right? You don't want to have all the ideas uh, tested out all at the same time. How are you uh, selecting these ideas? Yeah, and it's not always the CEO uh, CEO's ideas that are the greatest too, by the way. So yeah, you have to apply that self-filter as well. But one of the best ways, um, the examples I'd use was at uh, American Science and Engineering, which was a very high-tech company that you that developed uh, different types of x-ray technology for different market applications outside of medical and um, we created an innovation committee that I was as the CEO the chair of but that was represented by the head of not just R&D but the head of sales the head of product management the CFO the head of biz dev where once a quarter we would have it could come from marketing, it could come from sales, it could come from R&D. We would have people present ideas and concepts too. And we would make collectively funding decisions around for the next period uh, of time, which maybe could be a quarter, could be a year, where we would fund an area of development. And that committee, again, was cross-functional. We would even have HR at the table with us where we would review these ideas and concepts. And then once they went from concept to, I'll say, a, what we considered a, a good good idea, which is kind of like a stage zero, zero in a stage gate development process, then we would formalize the development of that product or could be a cap- an organizational capability that you're going to fund. But that it all started early on with this innovation committee that the CEO was personally involved with as well, which to me, throughout our discussion today, Bill, I think that's one of the most critical things is that top leadership is at the table behind these ideas. Top leadership can demonstrate to the organization that some ideas fail. And you're going to take it to a point without you know significant repercussions. And you know that's where you help to create that culture we touched on earlier as well. But I, I do think having that, that committee that's well-rounded functionally 
as well as for, in terms of perspectives, having those different perspectives at the table early on in the process. Yeah, Chuck, I think these are these are great um, insights. And, and I've seen in our consulting work that sometimes there is a gap uh, with some organizations that they don't have assigned teams. They don't necessarily need to do the innovation labs or anything like that, but they don't have assigned teams or members to look at these ideas in different types of throughout their portfolio or different horizons, you can call it, right? What are they doing for short-term planning? What ideas do they have for long-term planning? And sometimes that's that's a disconnect that most of the projects or ideas are looking at short-term ROI and there isn't enough R&D for long-term and, and enough um, support from senior management to definitely look at these long-term projects. And that's when I we see a lot of opportunities missed. And I think that's, you're touching on a very important point to me when you think about kind of things that I've learned moving from through the CEO roles to more traditional, I'll say board member roles, uh, Bella's. I think the metrics around innovation should be yet less project-specific ROI and more around market share gains and EBITDA expansion for the company. So looking at, at it almost at a higher level, Project ROI remains very important. You never lose sight of that. But I, when you think about innovation, to me, innovation equals differentiation. How are you differentiating from the competitor, from your uh, competition? And to me, that should show in market share gains and EBITDA, you know, expansion on your on your P&L. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely had some great points here. Speaking of innovation and differentiating yourself, how do you think technology today has affected innovation in examining the current business model for for all companies? It's a, it's a great question. You know, it's um, I, I'm trying not to show my age here, Bella, but it's uh, it is an interesting question. I when I think about that, just technology in general has made access to information. You know, the ability to get data and analyze data. I mean, look at, look at sports, right? Sport, every sports now is data analytics. Everything's about data analytics, but things are systematized now. And from a tools perspective, and, you know, you have things like knowledge databases that can self-create within engineering organizations, as an example. So what's a lot easier and more efficient now than it ever was, was reuse and reuse of technology, um, processes, et cetera, because they're systematized. And, you know, that that reuse, especially if you think about it from a, I've always been in product businesses, you think about it from a product development perspective, you can very easily reuse different core elements of other platforms, other products through these knowledge database types of tools. And to me, that's something that's been technology enabled in the last extensively in the last 10 to maybe 15, but I'd say the last 10 years where you've seen that in terms of those tools. And again, when I we talk about innovation, I think about products, processes, the way a business runs. And you, you think about processes like you know Lean and Six Sigma, those tools, and it's how you use those tools as to how you innovate in those production processes. You know, But again, I go back to how you differentiate in terms of establishing maybe a sustainable cost or quality advantage um, through Lean and Six Sigma, those things now are, those tools, there's well-established 
toolkits that you know people can utilize, you use for training and things of that nature. So it's the repeatability is is just much easier, much more cost effective than it than it used to be. You know, when I started in industry in the eighties. Yeah, when I think of the word reuse, I definitely think of um, 3M Innovations, right? The company 3M, how they really take, you know, their core capabilities and then just reuse them into making brand new products that differentiate them in the market. And just just amazing on on how they use that. I wanted to um, get in here in terms of uh, leadership uh as far as leadership and innovation, how has this changed in the last past you know year and a half since the pandemic hit? What do you think uh, that business leaders today are are thinking about and prioritizing uh, with respect to innovation? I don't want to say innovation's taken a back seat. I think you know this new business norm that we have now, meaning remote workforces, um, as an example. Uh, you know, obviously, how what we are all managing through on the supply chain side that's been created through this pandemic. There's kind of a new norm. I think most companies, and you know, Hardinge included, um, during the past eighteen months have been really they've been uh, focused on, I'll say, short term operational supply chain issues, cash management, right, cash generation um, through this, almost in a survival mode. While leaders also, Bella, have been dealing with concerns over employee safety, you know, way beyond anything that they've ever had to deal with. And, you know, you've had to make up and develop policies on the fly, literally, as this pandemic kind of continued to uh, roll out throughout the world. You know, so that's been a a huge challenge and focus for management. So, you know, it's almost a company like companies have been in uh, survival mode. Now, Having said that, you know, you see what's happening in the supply chain shortages, especially in the areas of automotive, as an example. And they've been heavily focused on addressing assurance of supply in key technology areas like semiconductors, of course. And, uh, you know, coming up with new creative partnerships with semiconductor suppliers to ensure development long term is aligned with their needs as well as supply. And to me, I look at that as an example of, okay, semiconductor suppliers, there's an opportunity to innovate, strengthen your alignment with core anchor customers that's been created by this environment, by this pandemic. I am pretty close to some of the semiconductor players. I know that's exactly what they were doing. So I think innovate, innovation in this in the last 18 months has been almost driven out of this necessity to address some of the issues caused by the pandemic, like the supply chain. So innovation hasn't completely gone away, but as I sit here, I, you think about it uh, very differently versus just, you know, there aren't many companies that have had the liberty to, you know, just put incremental investment in, you know, R&D skunk works, et cetera, during this period because of the operational concerns that and overhang that this pandemic has created. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I've also seen in, in a lot of my assignments that there's a lot of companies who are you know, looking into collaboration work, they're coming to us with ideas of collaboration, or they're already collaborating and telling us where their hiccups are. But um, it's definitely forced a lot of companies to really work together and solve the problems so that they can meet the customer's needs. Definitely. Chuck, I wanted to, we're, uh, we're uh, close to time now. I wanted to ask you one last question on 
What's a commonly held belief in your industry or industries that you've worked with that you personally disagree with? Yeah, thinking about this, and I encounter this all the time, especially in small to mid-sized companies. And when I go into a new environment, I look for organic growth opportunities first that we can accelerate and then look at you know, inorganic opportunities can, that can be affected through M&A. And almost invariably, in, in I'll call it small to mid-cap companies, that's, you know, $100 million to billion-dollar revenue-sized companies that, uh, you know, there's usually significant geographic expansion potential for these companies. And more times than not, it's in markets like China that a lot of companies do not believe they can safely and profitably do business there in China. When I say safely, that means protecting your intellectual property, protecting you know your margins, your, your pricing structure, et cetera. And I found, if you go back through my career, but especially at Tyco Electronics, where 25% of the revenues were derived from China, built significant R&D capabilities, strong relationships with the China automotive suppliers over there, all the way through my current tenure at Hardinge, where China became our single largest market during our tenure because of the focus we had there. We derived the most profits from China, and we developed some of the strongest organizational capabilities over there. I just find that uh, it's a market that you need to be, again, I'll go back to innovative in terms of how you go to market, how you develop an organization, how you develop a supply chain capabilities, and how you develop your customer relationships. But that, to me, is something... You know, when I go into a company, especially, you know, these mid-cap U.S.-based companies, invariably, it's something that has to be overcome with the mindset within the organization. And I have yet to come across an industry where um, I haven't been able to have significant success going into the China market. It's not maybe directly tied to innovation, but I think in many ways it is. And I see that as a common theme, Bella, in virtually every company I've gone into. These are some great points. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. Definitely. I think we've seen uh, mindset is definitely a big barrier as uh, going overseas to uh, collaborate with companies or even look at that market as an opportunity. Um, But thank you for sharing that insight with us. That's great. I wanted to say thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Uh, Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Bella. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I found this interview very insightful. And I know that you will definitely inspire our listeners to uh, tackle innovation and growth through a different perspective. Thank you again for your time. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Innovative Executive with Bella Rushi, founder of Symmetry Consulting, a firm that specializes in helping companies embed innovation into their company. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, make sure to check out Bella's book, The Innovative Executive, Leading Intelligently in the Age of Disruption. Join us for the next episode to further unlock your innovation potential.